0: It is wonderful to be back. Um, this, this is home. Um, I will try not to cry. <laughs> um, but what a privilege just to know so many of you have been praying for me, my family, as you launched us in L.A. Um, to be trained in God's Word. So I, I am so appreciative for all that you've done for me and my family. Thank you. Uh, I also know uh, you are a gracious bunch of people, and so when I miss something today, I know you will show grace. (laughs) I have not done this. This is is what I'm preparing to, um, but this is God's Word, and I know He will be on it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you that our worth is not in what we own or what we do, but it is in Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we open your word, Father, I pray that you would help me. Um, pray that. Your word, your truth would be proclaimed in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of uh, my frailty. I pray that your word would convict, would build. I pray that above all that our minds would be transformed by the renewing of our Spirit Father. Bless this time in your word. I pray. Amen. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I'm sure this phrase is something that you can remember, you must have heard. This is from the United States Declaration of Independence. Well, Recently, earlier this year, I became an American. I was not expecting uh, about that, but thank you. Um, As I've considered uh, these words, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, I have considered what do these mean? What the society tells us they mean as of today, is this what the authors of the Declaration always meant? Or has it changed over time? It piqued my interest when recently I heard Laura Ingram interview Pastor John MacArthur. And her question was How did America get so bad? She was referring to the tumult that we see in our society now, be it the killing of the unborn, be it the society being confused as to who or what a man or a woman is, what a marriage is, all these institutions are on attack. And so when Laura asked that question, it it piqued my interest. Pastor John MacArthur, with all his wisdom, first laid all the barriers that the Lord has put so that evil does not have a free reign. And then he went on to say, and I quote, Once the family is destroyed, it cripples the disciplined raising of children to make them interact and engage socially in a positive manner. We're all witnessing the society go down the drain. I I don't have to give you the stats. But did you know that every 42 seconds there is a divorce that happens in America? So by the time I would have finished the sermon, 65 couples would have divorced. As I mentioned, the society is confused. Um, they, they do not know if marriage is for self-gratification or is it just a means to get tax rebate. Um, I, I live in LA and I've seen raising pets is considered more valuable than raising children. Children, as I mentioned, are just considered as a lump of cells and tissues to get rid of. Now, is there hope? Has, has God given up on family? My hope this morning uh, is to make it very clear to you that if order has to prevail, God's supremacy has to be acknowledged. We need to see our frailty and we need to lean on him and see that he is able. He's not just able, he is both the establisher and the preserver of the family that he instituted. Um, Solomon, in his wisdom, crafted Psalm 127. His, his aim is to show to us God's supremacy, specifically, God's sovereignty over families which helps us to worship our God, our Creator, our Preserver, our Sustainer. Now, before we go into and look at Psalm 127, it would be important for us to note that Psalm 127 is part of a collection of songs called the Songs of Ascent. Songs of Ascent are 15 songs which start from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Now, these were sung by pilgrims as they ascended into Jerusalem. Most of the pilgrims would be living in towns that were at a lower elevation than Jerusalem. So, it was a literal ascension to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would do this pilgrims three times a year. They would do that for the three annual feasts. Now, uh, I'm not sure about you, but... Um, Every time I used to study, read through psalms, I would always get confused. Is this just a random bunch of songs that have been put? But as I've studied, the Lord has been so good to me, and he has shown me how the God of order has put Psalm 127 between 126 and 128. Psalm 126, if you read, speaks about the Lord's protection and power while Psalm 128 speaks of a blessed home. So, Psalm 127 is that missing piece in the puzzle which makes all sense. It speaks about God's sovereignty on all aspects of our lives. Now, let's consider the passage. Psalm 127. A song of ascents. Of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When I first considered this psalm, I was confused. Um, I thought, well, verse 1 and 2, and the remaining 3, 4, and 5, I I felt they were speaking of two different things. One, dependence on God, and the second half of the psalm speaking about children. So I, 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 I could not see how both of them met. But you will see this whole psalm is speaking about one common theme. And the common theme is the Lord's sovereignty, specifically over our families. So two points that we will be considering when it comes to God's sovereignty over our families is one, the establishing of families. We see that in verses 1 and 2. And the second point, sovereignty over our families, especially in preserving, we see that in verses 3, 4, and 5. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Did you notice the repetition of the word unless? Solomon here is not wasting any words. He's going straight, he's hitting the mark, he's hitting the heart of the, the psalm. He is saying, If God does not bless the work of our hands, all that we do is useless, is of no good, it's vain. Now, a key word for us to consider this morning is the word house. Um, the word house that has been translated from the Hebrew word "bayith," has several meanings. Baith can mean a physical dwelling place. And we see that in Genesis 12 when the Lord asks um, Abraham, Abraham to leave his father's household and go to a land that God will give him to dwell in it. However, the word bayith also means family. To give you an example, um, Joshua 24, uh, a verse that is very um, common to us. Uh, Joshua says, As for me and my house... Will worship the Lord forever, right? So it's it's that it's not. Joshua was not speaking about a physical house; he was speaking about his family. Now, uh, in contemporary terms, what does this look like? Um, If I said the House of Windsor, you would automatically think about the royal family of Great Britain. You would not think about Buckingham Palace, right? So that's the idea: the house means family. Now, um, we need to understand one couple of things. Um, One, this psalm was written at least 3,000 years ago. It was written to an audience in the Middle East. So we, in the 21st century America, are very cut off. And hence, we will have to think, read the scripture as the original readers would have read. So the word house is definitely a wordplay that a poet is using, here Solomon is doing that. Now, um, J- uh, Jeff read to us Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, if you remember Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27, God, in his sixth day of creation account, made man. He made man in his own image. Image-bearing man was supposed to bring worship was to worship and bring glory to God but in Genesis 2 18 we we see that the Lord knew man needed help man needed help and hence God would bring to man a woman by pronouncing man and woman to be one in flesh God declared the first marriage He established, he instituted marriage. Hence, the family was created that day. This was the first family that the Lord built. The Lord initiated and formed. Unless the Lord builds the house, all is in vain. Now, if you notice... The word "vain" has been used three times, twice in verse one and once in verse two. When you hear the word "vain," you should consider Solomon's masterpiece, "Ecclesiastes: Vanity of Vanities." Now, just a Hebrew word play here. The vein that Psalm 127 is speaking is different from the vein as is used in Ecclesiastes. However, both mean very similar idea. They give the idea that it is void, it is useless, it is nothing. Solomon continues in the next phrase uh, by saying a city is protected if the Lord watches over the city. Now, This watch has a bigger connotation. It's not speaking ideally me sitting there and keeping an eye. Uh, The the notion here, the word, word watch in Hebrew gives that idea that this is an active process, similar to how a shepherd would keep awake in the night to make sure his sheep are protected. So he's comparing what God does, which is an active protection versus us passively watching over our city. Now, a watchman can watch over the city. So we have watchmen, they they watch over our city. However, a watchman is of no good if there is an earthquake or a thunderstorm. He, He won't be able to protect the residents of the city. So, if... The inhabitants of the city need protection. They need the Lord. This is what um, Solomon is saying. Did you know um, the home security system, the, the business of home security, is a $22 billion business in Indi- in U.S.? Now, I'm not sure about you, but I have seen so many houses broken into, families being robbed. Unless the Lord watches over the city, we protect our families in vain. However, in today's context, the bigger idea that we should be thinking is, how do we protect our families? Of course, we protect them physically, but As fathers, as husbands, we need to be considering how do we protect our family spiritually as well. Family was God's idea. God built his house and God protects his house. Now, um, verse 2. Do you see how he uses the word you? It is in vain that you... He has now moved away from a builder and a watch keeper. So he's, he's now speaking directly in the second person, you. That is referring to you and me. So this, we need to give notice to what he's saying next. He is saying, we go, we rise up early and we go late to bed. All of us are in this rat race Trying to work hard, work 80, 100 hours, and we console ourselves by saying, We are doing this for our family. However, the word says anxious toil. And this is what I have noticed. We say we are working for the family, but we are not there to break the bread with our family. Even if we are there, we are there making a quick pit stop and then rushing back into. The twilight of the day, making sure that we are doing everything possible to increase our kingdom, to increase our house. Now, is work all bad? Definitely not. I do not think Solomon is saying building houses is bad, watching is bad. However, he is saying if we work apart from God, all our efforts are in vain. So what should we do? We, the, the, the solution to that is, one, acknowledge our frailty and acknowledge his supremacy. Now, it's easy for me to say to you, hey, do not work early hours, late hours, be with your family but I still have noticed in my own heart that such strenuous work appeals to us. We, we like doing this because I guess we are wired to do this. Work was not bad when God instituted in Genesis. It was a good thing. Man was supposed to keep the garden. So work in itself is not inherently evil. Our attitude towards the work matters. It's like uh, a packet of Oreo cookies. Um, Appeals to us. We eat, but we realize it doesn't do any good to us. It is of no value. It fills our stomach, but it's not nourishing to the body. Similarly, working such strenuous hours, getting up early, going to bed late, ultimately is bringing no result. We fool ourselves. Speaking of man's folly, listen to what Muhammad Ali, uh, the greatest heavyweight champion, infamously said. He said, it's hard to be humble when you are as great as I am. Well, it doesn't come to us as a shock. We all live in this world where if we are prospering, we take all the credit to our own self. We forget that behind the, the labors of a hand, there is an almighty God who allows that to happen. Let us not rob of God's glory. Um, he is the one who works through us. We are just a vessel uh, in the work. So, verse 1 and 2, Solomon is laying that God is the one who built the house, he is the one who protects the house, and he is the one who provides for the house. You and me need to rest in that, knowing that our families was established by God. Now, let's move to the second half of the psalm, verses 3 to 5. Here we will consider... Lord's sovereignty over our families when it comes to preserving them. Verse 3 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in his gate. If you remember Genesis 1, the mandate that God gave was to be fruitful and to multiply. God gave man and gave his helper, the woman, to fulfill the mandate. Man and woman together were to reproduce more created kings, as Pastor Justin would call children. Now, do you see the word behold? Um, I've understood every word in the scripture is telling us something. Behold, Solomon is calling us to pay attention. This is key. Now, you will say, well, amen. Amen when I say children are a heritage from the Lord, you will agree that, yes, children ultimately belong to the Lord. Uh, we have been entrusted, we are stewards, to raise the kids that belong ultimately to the, to the Lord. But, how are children a reward? In fact, how, is, how are they a reward? What, what, are, what are we being rewarded for? I, I, I believe man can do no good to earn a reward. Now, to understand why Solomon uses the word reward for children, we'll, we have to understand something that poets do well, which is, which is when they use an aid called parallelism. Parallelism is when you are trying to communicate one idea, but in two different ways ways it is doubling down on what the point is now if you notice in verse 3 he says children are a heritage from the Lord and then fruit of the womb a reward so he's making a comparison between the fruit and the children and he's making a comparison between reward and heritage so he's equating them right now we all understand what a heritage is Um, we don't work to get heritage. Uh, We get heritage, we get the inheritance, just because we are sons and daughters of our parents. When they pass away, the inheritance comes to us. We don't work towards it. Similarly, what Solomon is saying is, you get this reward not because something that you have done, but because of God's generosity. He gives that to you. Heritage and reward oppose the idea of the strength of man. It also gives us the idea that there is a giver, who is the Lord, and the receiver, who is us. Just as he gives sleep in verse 2, here he's giving us children. Us human beings are receivers, receivers of sleep and receivers of children. When Solomon uses the word arrow, he's now moving on to, and then he's giving us a military analogy here. He is saying children are arrows. Arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Now, in the ancient days, in the ancient Middle East culture, battles were not won by missiles. They were not won by um, long-range ballistic missiles. They were won by arrows. Hence, the idea of a warrior using arrows to shoot at his enemy. No warrior would place uh, an arrow in his quiver if the arrow was not battle-ready. So he would make sure that the arrow is ready for the battle. In Genesis 1.28, when God blessed man and gave him the mandate, God first started with the blessing. So if you turn back, Genesis 1, verse twenty-eight. It says, and God blessed them. And then he goes on to give the mandate. So the point that I'm trying to make here is blessing comes to us not because of what we do, not because we are fulfilling the mandate. It's not because children give us the blessing. We get blessed and an flow of the blessing is our children. Ultimately, God is the one who is blessing us. Now, in verse 5, he also speaks about he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. A lot of commentators would agree that gate, uh, city gate, is where the marketplace was. That's where people would take each other's grudges. Uh, The court would happen at the city gate. Now, if a man who did not have sons would not be able to defend his accus- the accusations that were thrown at him, hence, when a man stood at the city gate, it was expected that he would have his sons to defend his cause. Arrows are like that. They defend families from the infiltration that the society is making, the attack that the society is making on families, children are that um, safeguard right there. To make this point clear, um, let let us all consider um, a well-known man who raised his children in the Word. Um, Most of you know who Jonathan Edwards was. Jonathan Edwards was born in the year 1703. And as a young man, he wanted to fulfill God's command, this mandate. But he also valued the Puritans who had come from Europe into America in the 1630s. He had noticed by the the time he was a young man that with America's prosperity the dream of the Puritans to make America a Bible society had faded. And he wanted to make sure that his legacy would always be remembered. After 150 years of Jonathan Edwards' passing, a man by the name of A.E. Winship studied what happened to 1,400 descendants that Jonathan Edwards left behind. He found out that most of the 1,400 over the 150 years professed to be followers of Christ. And many of them impacted the society in various ways. Uh, His descendants included 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, a dean of a law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians, a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public offices, including U.S. senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a U.S. president, uh, sorry, a U.S. vice president, and a controller of the U.S. treasury. Many of his remaining descendants went into full-time ministry. They, they included hundreds of missionaries and others who sat on mission boards. Solomon is saying, if you want to defend the man on the city gate, you need the sons. Similarly, if you and I want our families to be defended from the, the attack, from the society, we need sharp arrows. Arrows that can infiltrate in the darkness uh, that is all around us with both the truth and the gospel. Solomon is clear. God builds the family. God provides children to the family. These children, trained in God's truth, are used by God to protect the family. Guarding against the society starts with You and I nurturing the family and training our children in the truth. Now that we have got our arms around the text, how does this appeal to us? What should we do in light of this? I want to address the different groups Of individuals who are who are present in this room, I believe the first thing, in light of what is being told in this passage, is that we acknowledge God's supremacy, and we rely not on ourselves but in God. We have knowingly or unknowingly given into the lies of the society what we really need is being transformed by the renewing of our minds since we are told in Isaiah that our thoughts are not of God and the thoughts of God are not ours. So, we need to acknowledge that we have relied on ourselves and repent of it. Psalm 10 verse 14 says the helpless commit themselves commits himself to the Lord. Do you see yourself as helpless? Do you commit yourself to the Lord? Now if you are an unbeliever here one who has not professed Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior may I tell you why you need to commit yourself to this Lord. Jesus Christ, God himself, humbled himself to be a man. He lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. His only mission was to redeem his people, redeem sinners, sinners just like you and me. After living a perfect life, he was accused. He was shamed on your behalf and my behalf. He bore our shame. He was punished on our behalf, hung on the cross. He died, but he crushed death. And on the third day, he rose up again. After ascending into heaven, He now sits at the right hand of the Father and one day He will come back to judge the the living and the dead. Those of us who have put our trust in Him will be saved. Those of you who have not will be abandoned from Him. So, Will you continue trusting in yourself or will you trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your savior, the one who alone can save you? For those of us who identify as followers of Christ, the psalm tells us to be thankful. It speaks about God's sovereignty in our day-to-day life. We understand none of us can accomplish what he alone can accomplish. And so, let our joy be Christ alone. The one who does not put us to shame. Faith Bible Church, I want to commend you in ways that have not only encouraged my heart, but has built me up as well. There is a big emphasis from this church about prayer. In fact, every Sunday, the saints gather to pray in light of what they are going to hear. They pray for missionaries, they pray for each other, they pray for the elders, and this is a good thing. This tells me that Faith Bible Church leans on God, does not lean on their own self. If you are not attending that, may I humbly request that you join them. Join because we cannot do, as the psalm says, we are helpless. We need the Lord to accomplish anything. I'm also very thankful for the elders here. Uh, The elders model the trust in the Lord, in protecting the city. If you remember, Pastor Phil, when he was praying, he prayed for the authorities that are over us. We need God's help in the society that we live. But if you had heard, Pastor Phil specifically prayed for their salvation. It's not just physical protection. We need spiritual protection. Families are what... Protects us, can change the course of the nation. Um, a Puritan by the name of John Flavel, in his book The Mystery of Providence, says, Prayer honors providence, and providence honors prayer. His providence proclaims that our Lord answers prayers. To the believers, I'm sure you've heard being told to you, sleep is the most wonderful thing that you can do to honor God. When you sleep, you are resting in God alone. You are saying, he is sufficient. He will care for my family. He will protect. He will provide. He will build my family. So enjoy the gift of sleep, rest in him. Jesus in John fifteen five says, you can do nothing apart from me. So, this should tell us that, one, we are not God. Two, we need God. And three, that he gives his beloved sleep, as, as we, we read that earlier. Now, the children in the room, It doesn't matter if you are 6 or 66 in this room. Look for ways to bring honor to your parents. The Bible tells us it is good to honor your parents. Try to stand behind them as Psalm 127 speaks of, standing behind your father to bring honor, to protect them from shame. Do that. Young children, as you are at home, learn from your parents how to walk in the Lord. Understand and learn from them God's goodness. As you study hard, remember, it's not your skill. You are not called to be a builder or a keeper. You will be known for the trust that you have. Trust your God. Older children, consider how you can care for your aging parents. How can you support them at the city gate of their community? I'd like to challenge you to consider a biblical pattern of caring for the family. Do not give in to what America tells you. The government tells you, tells us to give our children to them and tells children to give our parents to them. Consider what it would mean for you to be counter-cultural in this way. Love and honor your parents. Single men in this room, God's mandate to subdue and fill the earth is not to be done in solitary. Unless the Lord has given you the gift of celibacy and has given you no desire to get married, I would ask that you pray for your own purity and pursue a godly woman. Do not waste your youth in pursuing your mandate and not the Lord's mandate. Seek wisdom. Uh, grab a copy of the godly disciplines of uh, disciplines of a godly man and the meaning of marriage from the book wall, and spend time with a man who has lived a, a married long a long married life. Learn from them. Single women, pray and wait. The Lord, in His timing, will provide. Um, As you wait, I I urge you that you find godly women that you can spend time with. Go into their homes, serve them, pick up a book, something like disciplines of a godly woman or helper by design and read with these godly women and and learn from them what it means to be a wife. Prepare yourself to be that woman. Single men and women. (laughs) Pastor Phil does this young adult group that meets every week. Join that. Serve the church. Serve parents in the church. This is how you redeem your time and build the family. Married folks, um, first I'd like to address young couples here. The U.S. population uh, is decreasing, and so is our churches. Churches are dying because many of them have given into the lies of the world. The lies which say, it is inconvenient for me to carry babies. It is inconvenient because I cannot afford a baby. It is inconvenient because it is my choice. I pray that you would see the mandate that the Lord has placed. I, I, I urge that you see that children are a reward. They are not a curse. Our God wants to bless us. And so I pray that you would pray that the Lord would bless you with children. Woody Barkham, I was listening to Woody Barkham, and he said, if you're not ready to have children, you're not ready for marriage. Again, God does not want to harm us. He wants us to reward us through children. So let's look at children as blessings. I want to speak for a moment to the couples in the room that have had issues in having children. I understand your pain. Um, I, my wife and I have been in that place. We understand the struggle that you go through. The only encouragement I can give you is our God is a wise God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and yet he decides in his sovereignty to give to some and not to give others but blessings don't come from children blessings ultimately come from the lord he gave his son his only son and through him is what is and through him is is what blessings come from our eternal blessings Husbands, continue to date your wife. Check with her how you're doing as a husband. Strive to love her and grow in love for her as you grow as both of you grow in love for the Lord. Trust the Lord that He is the one who is building the house. Trust the Lord for His provision. Unless the Lord blesses the marriage, man and woman labor in vain. Pray. Pray for God to build your home and work in God's strength as you build, provide, protect your home. Now to the fathers and mothers in this room. This passage is very clear. If we are to do any change in this society, the society where the cracks have just been growing bigger and bigger every day, if anything has to change, it is a call for us to make sure that the arrows that the Lord has given us are sharp, that we are raising our kids in the fear and the knowledge of our Lord. They know the truth. They know the gospel. And they can be shot in the darkness to achieve the mission. Parents, remember this. God is not obligated to give us children. He's not. He is kind when he gives us. He's kind if he gives us one. If he, He's kind if he gives us five. Children are a blessing. Even when they are crying in the middle of the night. When you and I have to get up to take care of the diapers... Children are a blessing when they are throwing temper tantrum. Children are a blessing when you are called into the principal's office. Children are a blessing if you have known the joy for years or you've had to put them in a casket at an early age. Parents, do you see them as a heritage? Do you see them as a gift that the Lord has given you? If so, your home should be about husband and wife. Let the children gain security knowing that the marriage is stable. I love Faith Bible Church. I've been here for, I I was a member here for some time. And while we were here, uh, the church encouraged us, prayed with us as we adopted our son. Um, Big transitions, but I am so grateful to all of you to have walked that journey with us. Now, the question that all of us should be asking is, okay, yeah, we get the point. Arrows need to be sharpened, but how do I sharpen my arrow? The Puritan Robert Murray McShane in one of the sermons that he preached entitled Family Government, he explained that family worship is the most needful for your family. It is more needful than your daily food, more needful than your work. Parents, remember, it is not the responsibility of the church or the youth camp to raise your children. You are called to train your child in, uh, in, uh, as Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so I pray that you would continually be praying as you raise up your kids. If you're new to family worship, remember and understand that none of us are are perfect. Um, But the best way to start a family worship would be for you to consider a passage, find a consistent time that works for your family, be it in the morning, be it in the evening, but make sure you have a consistent time where you are reading the scripture. After you've read the scripture, ask questions to your children about the text. Pray in light of the text. Let your children see that you value God's word more than anything else. We sung some songs. Rehearse them at your home. Let your home be saturated by God's word. Unless the Lord's word dwells in our home, we parent in vain. Let us raise our children as arrows. Arrows that will penetrate the society, the society that does not understand, the society that is confused about what a family is, what a marriage looks like. Finally, the older saints here. Thank you so much for raising arrows. I have benefited by your labor, but you are not done yet. We still need you. We need your wisdom. We need you to walk with young parents, teaching them, training them how to be good parents. Although physical child-rearing could be a thing of the past, but we need you to raise spiritual arrows. I love what Faith Bible Church is doing, having those spiritual arrows and shooting it. Some have landed in Sweden, some have landed in Cambodia, some have landed in Laos. Like This is what you guys are doing. Uh, continue praying. Older saints, support your elders. They need your encouragement as they think about and consider planting churches consider how you can come along, disciple young believers, to, one, see the value of marriage, second, how to raise children to be that spiritual arrows. Unless the Lord grant us faith, we trust in vain. As I conclude, a big big, big theological discussion that happens within the Christian community is God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. As Psalm 127 tells us, both run parallel. Yes, God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is autonomous. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is all-powerful. And yet, Man is responsible for all his actions or inactions. The psalm, if anything, is so countercultural to the world around us. We as Christians live need to live as light and salt in this society. The psalm calls us to challenge. The the norms that are in place now. It calls into question our culture's obsession with success. If you remember earlier, I was speaking in my introduction, I spoke about the pursuit of happiness. Instead of pursuing lavish houses, luxurious cars, and extravagant vacations, what we need to be pursuing is fulfilling God's mandate. Subdue, be fruitful, and multiply. All houses, all cities on this earth will come to an end. However, the house that the Lord builds will reign forever. He has established King Jesus on the throne. His throne will last forever. This should only cause us to be in awe of our God and worship him. His sovereignty should cause us to worship him and to propel us to carry the mandate that he has given us in Genesis. Let us be people who trust the Lord as we build the house, as we protect the city and as we provide for the family, not trusting on ourselves, but knowing that it is the Lord who does the work, our job is to raise physical children and spiritual children as arrows, arrows that defy what the culture is telling us, which is countercultural to what the gospel tells us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you that we can rest knowing that it is ultimately you who built the house. You are the one who, who initiated the family. You are the one who provides for the family. You are the one who protects the family. I pray that we would not give up good work ethics, that we would work work unto you because we know that none of our work for you goes in vain. I pray that you would bless children, I pray that they would be a blessing to their parents. I pray that they would be equipped by the truth, the truth that is in your word. Pray that the parents would be equipping and sharpening their arrows. Pray that those who struggle to have kids, that they would see that it is ultimately Christ who is the blessing. I pray that they would use their time, their resources to disciple people so that they can be shot into different parts of this world where, where there is still darkness, Lord, where people do not know you. I pray that you would bless the marriages here. I pray that the society would see that Faith Bible Church considers the institution of family as holy and sacred, something that you have instituted. I pray that, that believers here would encourage one another. I pray that um, they would use the various resources that the church has uh, in terms of one another's using um, the different classes that are available. I pray that all of this would be used to equip the families so that The arrows are sharpened, Father. We thank you that you are sovereign over all families and that King Jesus reigns. Um, Pray that you would be honored in the rest of the worship service now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.